Well, good morning. Uh, We're going to look at our next passage in uh, the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 13. Uh, This is uh, Paul's sermon, and he is in the synagogue when he gives this sermon. What he does in this sermon is he takes Old Testament history and sort of walks through really quickly, uh, pointing to uh, kings and prophets and judges and how they really are pointing to something else. And the, what they are, the something else, the someone else they're pointing to is Jesus. Hope I didn't ruin that for anyone. Um, but all, the way that Paul forms this sermon, he's not just giving a factual thing of, there was this person and then looked to Jesus. There was this person that looked to Jesus. But what he's saying is, uh, look, what God, look how God has provided for you as a people. And then he points to Jesus, and he says, Jesus does even more. When we live our life, we ask ourselves uh, throughout our day, is something enough? Is this enough provision to carry me through? Do I feel cared for enough? Do I have enough uh, finances, uh, energy, emotional energy uh, to carry through what you're called to do? And we also ask, has God really provided this? Uh, Whatever it is in your life, you wonder, is this really what God has provided? And many times, the things he provides are not the things that we pray for or many times want in those moments. Uh, But we see through Old Testament history, the way that God has always provided for his people. And if you trust in Christ, you are his people. But we also... Ask ourselves question, questions along the line, along the lines of, if God has provided this, will this fulfill me? Will I have peace or fulfillment because of this thing that God provides? And this is many times how we um, turn away from uh, trusting in Jesus, and we tend to trust in what God has provided, or what safety would be for us, or what whatever it is, wealth, relational fulfillment. This is Palm Sunday, and I read from Matthew 21. And at some level, uh, we resonate with the excitement of uh, Palm Sunday, of waving palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna, um, the king is here. But then on the other side, we see this is really a foreign thing that's happening, that uh, the king... Jesus is coming in on a donkey that he doesn't even own. And so when we think about uh, serving a king or serving something, we want it to be significant. Uh, In some way, Palm Sunday is a celebration of uh, this is what true significance is. And it's Jesus who had no earthly possessions. He had to borrow a colt to ride in on. We secretly want more from our kings. We want more from, uh, the, the, if we were in the Old Testament, we want more from the prophets, more from the priests, more from the leaders. Paul's sermon begins with the recognition that God is the one who provides. I'm going to read Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga, in Pamphylia, 
And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch to Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said, Men of Israel, you and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then, he asked for a ki- then they asked for a king. God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. When they had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And who will do all my will? Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course and said, what do you suppose, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me is one who is coming, or the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And then they found in him no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Also, it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, And you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said to the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe even if one tells it to you. 
as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath day, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul and revealing, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And as for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout men of high standing and leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening through all of that. After Paul says, after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, they ask Paul to speak and to share any encouraging word. And if any of you have read uh, some of the New Testament, you know that Paul would not um, skirt away from that opportunity to share uh, the goodness and mercy in Jesus. So what Paul talks about is that God provides leaders. God has done that through the, nation, through the history of Israel. He provided his law, but these leaders and law were needed and they were only pictures. And then God provides Jesus. And then Paul ends uh, his sermon with an invitation. Paul begins his message with this real simple history of Israel. From the patriarchs to the judges to Samuel the prophet to the monarchy, Saul and David, to John the Baptist, to Jesus. All of this is a quick history that Paul shows that God is the subject of, all, of every single verb phrase in this first paragraph except one. God provided. That could have been his first point for this three-point outline sermon that he just gave. God provides. And here's how he provided for his people. God chose our fathers. God made the people great. God led them out of Egypt. God put up with them in the wilderness. God gave them their land. God gave them judges to help rule. God gave them a king as they asked. God gave them David as king. God brings Israel a savior. God provided John as the one who pointed to Jesus. God provided Jesus. He is reminding these people that they are not here in the synagogue with no history. They're there with a history of a God who provides. All of the Old Testament kings and leaders and prophets are insufficient. They all fulfill their purpose. They're all there for a reason and they're needed. They're needed for those in the first century. They're needed for us now, today. 
I think one reason why they're needed is to show that they're insufficient, that they're pointing to something greater. They're there to show it's not just following that prophet. It's following what that prophet is communicating about the word of the Lord. It's not just following that king. It's following that that, that king is to be a model of how God is going to be a king over his people. These leaders were all used by God. And all of these leaders were God's grace to care for his people. In the Old Testament, this, there are two dangers, and they're repeated through the Old Testament. Thinking that a king or a prophet is so great that he needs to be worshipped. Or that the people believe that um, the leaders, the people believe, leaders think that they are too great, or the people believe that the leaders are too great. And this was their tendency through the history of Israel. In all of these lists here, we see hundreds of years of history of God providing for his people. And he was there to point them that there's a greater king coming, that there's a greater prophet coming, that there's a greater priest coming, that there's a greater leader coming, and you need to wait because he's coming. Verse 36 It says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. We see the life of David is explained very simply. Uh, He served the purpose of God in his own generation. He fell asleep. He passed away. He was laid in a grave. And he saw corruption. In this, we're reminded of great purpose we have, which is beyond our own life. Uh, Count Zinzendorf, who was the bishop of the Morovian church in the 18th century, he's famous for the phrase, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And this is uh, the message of, you're a king of Israel, you're a prophet in the Old Testament, you're a priest. Uh, what do we have from them? We have the Bible, which gives us this story of the life they lived. And what was significant was not their life. What was significant was what their life pointed to. The fuller, under, the fuller writing of Count Zinzendorf, what he said, reads, The missionary must seek nothing for himself, no seat of honor, no report of fame. He must be content to suffer, to die, and be forgotten. It's really nice that he said that, and he had that way to, li- to live. We think about the way we live our own life. To have this same passion and commitment to really trust in Jesus this much. To know that this is what makes life matter. Proclaiming the gospel. You and I will die. We will be forgotten. Jesus will never be. Psalm 45, 17 says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. God's grace was seen in one way in the Old Testament that he provided leaders for his nation and his people, and he led them and he provided for what they needed. Even one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament 
King David was not enough to transform a nation to follow God. He was not powerful enough to transform someone's heart. Even though he was known as uh, a man after God's own heart, uh, you, you really read about David's life? He was a real mess. But wait, what made him a man after God's own heart is he knew where he stood before his heavenly father. No king can lead you to be in a right standing with God. No prophet can tell you enough that will change God's mind. No priest can offer enough sacrifices that you are at peace with the holy God of the universe. But what they could do was point you to someone who could accomplish those things. Just like the law was useless to bring reconciliation The law is there. We have it. You and I can sit every Sunday, every day, read through the law, check our motives, try to figure out what we're doing. It brings us no closer to the God of the universe. Leo Tolstoy, in his writing, uh, A Confession, writes, My question, which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. And it was... What will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? This is what drives people to religion. Give me something to do. Give me something to measure. Is there a greater meeting in your life? This meaning that we seek is so counter to our thinking. Uh, this, the meaning that we uh, see in the Bible that gives our life meaning, that holds us, that we're shepherded, we're provided, is not, a meaning, is not a meaning that we seek after and pursue and create great passion for and then we reach it. This meaning actually meets us. This is Jesus moving toward you. All of the leaders, kings, prophets in the Old Testament, they have come and gone. They were to point to someone greater. This king that is coming, this king that has come here in this passage that Paul is proclaiming, has come not just for the Jews, but this king has come for the Gentiles. Which is even more shocking Both groups need something greater than their own personal history. Verse 26 says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. A group of people, different backgrounds, different views, they're called to be brothers because of Jesus. This is what unifies them. Not because they have the same view of Abraham or David, but they're invited to a new family. They have been sent this message of salvation. 
Paul says, this is the good news they bring. Jesus is the one you have been waiting for. And then Paul tells the story of Jesus like he tells, uh, like he tells the story of the history of Israel. But he focuses on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Because that's what transforms what the prophets and the kings and judges could not do, Jesus completed. It's interesting. You look at the whole history of Israel, and uh, it was never, ever completed. Nothing was ever finished. You're a king. You're ruling. You're, you're aiming for peace, caring for your people, protecting your land. You die. What happens? Now we need another king. Now we need another king after that. Prophet, live, proclaim the word of God. Thus saith the Lord, prophet dies. Now we need a new prophet. Priest, same thing, over and over. Sacrifices, it's not enough. It's never done. People don't need a better king who rules them with more wisdom. Or a clearer prophet who speaks with more authority or a more compassionate priest. And this is what Paul is telling those within the synagogue, the Jews and the God-fearers. What are needed are a completely different prophet, priest, and king. One with a completely different character. One that fulfills everything that was spoken of prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament. Fulfilled in one person and never replaced. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke as the mouthpiece of God. Jesus came to proclaim the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. Hebrews 1, John 1. The Old Testament priests enter the holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle sacrificial blood on the sacrifice of the mercy seat year after year after bloody year. Jesus came as the one complete sacrifice the only mediator between God and man. The kings in the Old Testament were to rule and protect their people, their land, and their identity. Jesus comes as the king who rules kings. What the Jews were hoping for was just uh, a little bit more of what they had. We are the same. Maybe it's a little bit more from uh, a king, a little bit more of, of a prophet, of the words of God. A little bit more and we'll be better. Maybe just the next step and we'll have peace, we'll attain something, and then we'll feel more at peace in resting in Christ alone. Instead of understanding, we are called to rest in Christ alone. This cycle that's set up in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Jesus. Paul is reaching the end of his sermon and lands at the question all those gathered in the synagogue are working to answer through their religion. How do I obtain forgiveness of sins? How will my life matter? How do I find peace? Tell me what to do. Like Tolstoy's question, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? What is going to hold me? 
The Jews and the God-fearers had to obey the ceremonial and moral laws strictly to receive any spiritual relief of the guilt of their sin. Those gathered either feel some kind of pride, they feel like they're attaining it, this working for peace with a holy God is actually working, and they're making some kind of progress because of the way they feel. But you also have people who gather at the synagogue, and you imagine every time they go in, they go, I just feel horrible. This is not doing anything. All this is doing is just wearing me out and heaping shame, and you're not good enough on them. We read of the greatness of Jesus fulfilling these roles in our justification. Verses 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This, the word that is translated freed is the same word as justified. In your translation, it might even say justified. But think of the difference of the way that you and I absorb those words. Justified, we, again, we put on some theological hat and get some strict definition, which is really helpful and good. But someone tells you, you're free. You owe something? Nope, you're free. That excites art and creativity and imagination that what is freedom? This is what you have when you're justified by Christ alone. You have freedom. You are freed from trying to work really hard to earn something before a holy God because you can't do it. You're freed from living a life of shame under the thumb and the burden of your own ideals. You're freed. You're freed from living this life of saying, I trust in Christ alone, but then really you have a secret corner of your life that you want to build all the religious good works that you can because if that's not going to work, what are you going to do? Instead of understanding, this is the freedom that Paul is proclaiming. You are free. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not your good works. It's not you hiding things in your life. It's you believing This is the word and the promise of God. You are freed from longing for a better prophet or teacher. You are freed from the bonds of giving God more and thinking that in that he will love you more if you sacrifice more. You are freed from the burden of ruling your life to show that you are a worthy king of your own kingdom. You are freed from those. The freedom in justification by faith is that you have received what you could never earn. That's the freedom. Our struggle is we so want to believe it and it really doesn't make sense. Martin Luther, um, who loved justification by faith, And it's a wonderful thing to love. He writes about this book of Acts. 
specifically this part. He says, we must all be justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ without any contribution from the law or help from works. This doctrine is the chief intention of the book and the author's principal reason for writing it. He's saying this is why we have the book of Acts is because justification. We need to understand it more. As Paul tells them, there's freedom. Your freedom is not found in in your history. Uh, Your freedom is found in Jesus. Then he closes his sermon by giving a warning. And he says, beware. He says, take these words seriously. Because continuing on your path of being zealous for religion and good works without being justified or freed from your sin is only going to lead to exhaustion. But he also gives an invitation, urging them to continue in the grace of God. What is the result of this message? Verse 43, 48, people come to faith. Verse 50, more and more persecution. The message of the Bible is not the religious message of uh, good works, try harder, pave your path, make yourself known, make sure there's a memorial about your life. But the message of the Bible is that Jesus is the one who shepherds you. Jesus is the one who walks with you. Jesus is the one you rest in for forgiveness and grace and peace. Because all these in the Old Testament, like I said before, they never end. There's just a cycle. They keep going and going and going. And then there's Jesus and the cross. What does he say? It is finished. It's finished. It is full and complete in the person of Jesus. The work of being the perfect prophet, perfect priest, perfect king. Don't even try. Don't even try and think that's going to earn you something because Jesus fulfills them. Your calling is to receive what Jesus offers you. You are freed from the burden and shame of your sin. You are made into a child of God. And all of this is received by faith. And you're freed. You're justified. The sacrifice has been given. And this is what we celebrate this morning as we take of communion. We celebrate that Jesus' perfect sacrifice was really perfect. And it was really enough. And we need to remember this. Because this is what unifies us as a people. Let me pray as we prepare our hearts to come and receive of this meal this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and gracious. We thank you that you know our weakness. You're not surprised at our weak faith, at our sin, at our struggles. We pray as we come to this table that we would understand more and more what we receive in Jesus. That you would make us a people who enjoy the freedom you've given. And we walk in joyful obedience, resting in Jesus' perfect work. Amen.